Are you afraid of him? she asked. Miss Grimm's fingers moved slowly between Galen's ears. The cat's eyes were almost completely closed, but its eyes were still fixed on Alexandra. Yes, said the dean. Hello! Welcome back once again to the Remedial Magic Podcast. My name's Brady, and hosting with me this week, just like every other week this podcast has been in existence, are my brother Baylor and our good friend Delbert. You know, it feels like only a few minutes ago that we recorded last week's episode, the episode that's out by now, and I'm ready to go for this one, too. I'd just uh, like to remind everyone that even though we're recording this definitely one week later for sure, that Will Smith being the best slapper in oh Hollywood is still relevant. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> Not yeah. going away anytime soon. Yeah. Last week really flew by. It was a busy week for me. You know, felt like I didn't even leave the studio in between. So. Yeah. <laughs> I will say we are pre-recording our episodes a little bit for a few reasons. We're excited to finish this book, take a little bit of a break, and then get into the next one. But also, it's important for us to get done with this, I think. Um, and Baylor, I don't know if I have permission to announce this or not, but essentially, you've gotten a new job and you'll be moving to a different town. And so another big reason for this push is to get this book finished before you move. That way, we can use our break to work out how we're going to record seasons going forward given that you won't be in studio with Delbert and I. Yeah, yeah. I uh, got a got a promotion at work, uh, so that, that's exciting. But, Congratulations. Uh, yeah, yeah. So we'll have to uh, figure out how to have one member, me, over Discord, and then you guys here locally, and then figure out a way to, to make that work. But Great news. I've got it figured out. Good. I've got your phone number, and I've got speakerphone. Oh. Nope. <laughs> All right. Nope. Come back for season two, the season of shitty audio. The nice. season of Brady not participating <laughs> because of that, if that's the case. I've gotten really used to the high-quality product we push out. I yeah. don't think I could go to a crackly phone voice being played I, into a microphone. I agree. <laughs> uh, that being said, we are pre-recording this. In fact, I think from the time that we are recording this episode, it won't be out for three weeks i think yeah. this one's coming out three weeks from now at this I mean, point little known fact we had like four pre-recorded episodes when we started releasing and still managed to uh fall apart before the holidays indeed yeah <laughs> that did happen but uh we're at least in this instance pre-recording for a little bit better reason I yeah. Think. yeah yeah uh just to remind everybody when it comes to it uh for the prediction segment i read a chapter and then write down my prediction i don't read the chapter ahead, and then write the prediction, just so everyone's on the same page. True. I'm not cheating. When we plan to record two at a time, that's pretty important. So, And I think that was obvious from last week's prediction. Anyways. Right. So, that being said, uh, we are going to talk this week about chapter 28 of Alexandra Quick and the Thorn Circle. Uh, the title of this chapter is called, this chapter is called Governor General Huckstein. Last week, we were talking about chapter 27, which was titled Broken Circle, and we are right at the end of this book at this point. We have this chapter, and then next week's episode will be the last chapter, and then the following week's episode will be our kind of 
final review of the book where we're going to talk to Sam Gabriel and have a little bit of an interview with him. We're going to discuss, I think what we've decided to do is discuss who we think the seven most important characters from this book were and kind of dive deeper into them and review our casting of them and maybe change that if we want to. And then get set for the break between seasons where we're going to have a couple of special episodes and all of a sudden the end of this seems way closer than uh, it did like a month ago when we really still had 10 chapters left to go over. It's also going to be a uh, fun little experiment with time again because by the time this episode's out our interview with Sam Gabriel should already be recorded. (laughs) Theoretically yes. Um Unfortunately, unless you're in the Discord or maybe on Reddit, you probably won't get a chance to ask any questions through our medium, but he is active in the Discord, so if it's already passed and there was something you wanted to ask, just hop into the Discord and uh, ask him. He'll probably get back to you. Or better than that, email us and we'll ask him for you. Oh, there you go. You'll only have to wait an extra couple weeks to find out. That way we can pump those numbers. (laughs) Speaking of which, we do not have an email in the last 78 minutes. Yeah, that tracks. <laughs> yeah, that tracks. I mean, that would break our average of one email per week. Right. Um, with that being said, though, our email is remediomagicpodcast at gmail.com. Uh, Baylor has you guys nice and set up with links to our social media in the description of the podcast. But if you're an old fashioned person who wants to type things into Google themselves, Baylor's going to tell you how you can find our various social media platforms. Yeah. So on Instagram and Twitter, it is our handle is at the underscore RM podcast. Uh, we're also the remedial magic podcast on Facebook. And, um, you know, we, we like to explore the Reddit verse a bit, uh, the Remedial Magic Pod on Reddit, I believe. Um, also, all of these links can be found in the link tree, which is also in the description. Or if you Google Remedial Magic Podcast link tree, it'll pop up right there. So, um, appreciate your business. Keep listening. Also, if you happen to be the owner of a billboard company and you have any empty billboards, throw our podcast up there. That'd be great. <laughs> <laughs> Could you, you never know unless you ask. <laughs> I'd say particularly interested if you have a billboard on ocean avenue oh like yellow card ocean avenue yeah yeah in la if you've got a billboard right there stick us up there give us a little bit of traffic that'd be great yeah then then send us a picture please uh at our email um just once again pumping the numbers up you know look we're not begging for new listeners but we sure would like to have enough listeners to turn this project into something a little bit bigger than it is. And so if you have the ability to get people on board, do it, do us a favor. We'd greatly appreciate it. And we will compensate you with even more hours of our voices pumping into your ears. Indeed. There's (laughs) nothing better. Also, if anyone really wants to date this podcast, I just wanted to give a quick shout out to all the Canadians on r slash place on Reddit who have finally figured out how to make a picture of their flag. That is true. I was... okay. They've made two of them, actually. I just looked, and there's two of them on top of each other, and they're both still a little messed up, but I saw that they got a perfect one down a little bit ago. We're pushing, right? I guess it. we're pushing a little bit for some pre-discussion content here, but 
I think we can talk about r slash place for a second. It's awesome. It I wish so I wish it just stayed cool. around. Yeah. I have never. I've been on Reddit for several years, and I didn't know about this until this year. So, I mean, is it something? It's not something brand new, but is it something that's been gone for a few years I and think, then brought back? I think this is the second iteration, both times being on April Fools. I think it's cool. And from what I understand, tomorrow will be the last day. And then whatever the last image is, whatever shows, will be saved, basically. And that's what you'll see when you look it up. It's a really unique thing. Frankly, if you're not on Reddit and you're not opposed to social media, you should get on Reddit anyways. Just for the sheer enjoyment of being on a platform like Reddit and what it can give you. But even if you're not, you should check out r slash place. Yeah. I, this is an official endorsement, I think, for it'll be slash It'll place. be done by the time you hear this, but the picture will still be there. You can see what we're talking about with just thousands of different images where the only thing you're able to do is once every five minutes is change one pixel out of these few million pixels to one color. That's all you can do, and people have just made really good art out of some of it. I would give it a rated R rating, though, because there is some oh, of the sure. images that are uh, you know, a little adult. But for the most part, pretty wholesome, actually. It really, in my mind, is a testament to what could happen if people that existed in higher levels than a bunch of Redditors stuck their minds together and made a cohesive plan. Because as you look through the subreddits that are participating in this, they have actual battle plans. Like how we're going to create our space and get our image on there how we're going to defend it, and how we're going to take down images that we don't like. Like, they have coordinated efforts, and it's to me it's just a commentary, frankly, of what we could accomplish if people would get along in real life instead of on the internet. One of the, my favorite things that's on our slash place is in the, like, middle but kind of the, to the upper left now that they keep doubling the space. It's a Star Wars poster that initially was incredibly done. It was really awesome. It's still really good. But like you're saying, the communities attacked it at some point, and they did it very sneakily. And all they did was change the blue background of Darth Vader to a hundred different Among Us characters. Yeah, it was still awesome. the same color. It was kind of hard to tell unless you zoomed in. But just little miniature Among Us people. So it's not totally relevant to the time period this episode's being released. But if you didn't see it, go check it out anyways, because it's just one of those things about the internet that makes me love the internet. I would say it is relevant. 2023, r slash place, Remedial Magic Podcast, taking up an entire quadrant. Yeah. Speaking of billboards. There it is. There it is. It's very reminiscent looking at it as, and this is way not relevant. I know exactly what you're talking about. It's very reminiscent looking at it as that website where that guy sold, uh, like, pixels of his website for one dollar a piece and anybody could buy them and you've just got all these really old irrelevant and a lot of r-rated advertisements on this website that are just frozen in time yeah and the guy made a million dollars doing it so as opposed to our place would not recommend checking that one i out. would not yeah a lot of bad links on that one but <laughs> it's reminiscent of a project That's like true. that except for it's just being made by people on reddit Typically, Redditors are a bit more wholesome than random internet trolls. Yeah. Depending on which part of Reddit you exist in. Indeed, indeed. I'm just going to shout out one more little image that's withstood the three-day test so far on the upper left side again, where it all started. Just a 
Italian or no, an Irish flag. I apologize, and a French flag back to back, just cut at a border. And on one side, it just started with a wine bottle on the Italian side and a glass, and then a uh, bottle or a cup of beer or a cup of ale on the Irish side, just kind of like together sitting there. And it was just a cool thing. They've added like an Eiffel Tower and stuff to it now. But it was just really cool when Germany and everyone was fighting over flag space that they just agreed to share. Yeah. Yeah, that's cool. It's just the whole project is very cool. Really cool. And looking at it, again, (laughs) Baylor just pointed it out. We are reminded that if you're not interested in R-rated type stuff, probably stay off or at least use caution. And it's not like there's anything super explicit, uh, but there are a few things that, probably aren't appropriate for children's eyes. Did he point yeah. out the giant pink and purple booty? No, I no. I pointed out the Big Ten uh, promotion of adult films. Gotcha. Yeah. 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 Big Ten as in college sports. Yeah. I mean, biggest thing, there's about, I don't know, 10,000 different images on here, and I bet 50 of them are probably not super great. Sure. That still leaves a lot of great stuff on there to look at. It's a, it's a really, really interesting and unique... Uh, take on what the internet can accomplish. And it's going to be chaotic in the last couple hours before it gets saved because everybody's going to be on trying yeah. to put their stamp on it. Because so. what it gets saved as is what's going to be remembered in the future. Yes. Yeah. Currently, those two Canadian flags that you pointed out are being erased. Ah, unfortunate yeah. but, Canada. But they do have the finished one. You tried so. your best. That, it, that Osu logo has really defended quite well. It'll come back. The... The Canadian flag will come back. I'm I'm sure because they've that's been like the probably the hardest fought battle of anything on here. Yeah. Uh, with that being said, that's though, enough of our place. Even though it is really cool. hop off our place um, and hop back onto Alexander Quick in the Thorn Circle. Like I said, this week we are talking about Chapter 28. It's called Governor General Huckstein. I have one last thing on our place. Oh, okay. Do you think there's a Waldo in here? I've seen a lot of posts about people suggesting putting a Waldo in, oh, like a Where's Waldo in here somewhere. I'm not going to look for it while we podcast, but I am going to spend an hour tonight looking for one. Well, if anybody's going to find it, I'm sure it will be you. (laughs) I mean, it would be really cool if there's one in there. (laughs) And then you post it on some subreddit and and you let them erase it. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Maybe I wait until the final product and then look. As I was saying, though. (laughs) Sorry. This week, we're talking about Chapter 28, Governor General Huckstein. Last week, it was Chapter 27, The Broken Circle, and we found out a lot of good information about how the Thorn Circle actually works in terms of protecting Alex, as well as we saw Dean Grimm finally get real with Alex and explain some stuff that I think we all agree she should have explained quite some time ago in this book. So... Without further ado, our second to last three-sentence summary ever in this podcast. Disagree. We gotta have one for the final. A three-sentence book summary. Oh, sure. So our third to last ever three-sentence summary. Um, Baylor, why don't you start? Delbert, you go second, and I'll take the end of this one. While the school awaits the presence of Governor General Huckstein, the rumor mill is a buzzin' about Alex Thorne. Or, excuse me, Alex Quick. 
Alex retakes her spawns and places higher than David in a few categories and is overall pretty happy. Alex comes face to face with the man that her father supposedly tried to assassinate. We covered a little bit there. Yeah. 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 It's one of our better ones. Agreed. Probably an awkward scenario for Huckstein, you know. I think more than awkward for him, it's like he seems like a guy who kind of gets his jollies off on being the most powerful man in the room, and I bet this was a a very exciting opportunity for him to intimidate an 11-year-old girl. I think that's all this was was just an in- intimidation tactic. Yeah. Because he knew she didn't know anything, so. It's like him asserting his presence and saying, I'm here, don't Absolutely. do anything stupid. Yeah. Like, yeah, that's listen, exactly what I thought. With his description, I'm sure that he is watching you when you're sleeping and he knows when you're awake. Oh, gosh. <laughs> okay, cool. <laughs> He's just Santa Claus. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <clears throat> <laughs> All right. Uh. Moving on from that, <laughs> as you said, Baylor, the rumor mill is a buzz about Alex, but none of the rumors are really super inflammatory, in my opinion. We don't really hear anything that's like a, a big wow in the school, and we move on from that pretty quickly. Uh, one thing significant does happen, though, as part of these rumor mills. Alex gets invited to some secret society that we've never heard of before. It's called the Moore's Mortis Society, and apparently it's this student-led conclave of quote-unquote wannabe dark wizards, wannabe, essentially. Wannabe warlocks, yeah. Yeah, according to Stuart and Torvald, they're wannabe warlocks. What an interesting turn of events. It's kind of right? cool. It's It's really one of the most intriguing things that I've read in this book to be honest because it's setting up frankly the potential for an entire new storyline for Alex here yeah and it presents her with a conflicting situation I think as well we just watched her sort of come to some resolve to not be like her father and now she's been invited to a meeting for people who are trying to learn non-approved magic yeah I also just looked up Moore's uh, Mortis on Google and the word translates to death in Latin. So. That's that's on brand, I guess, for yeah. what they're trying to accomplish. <laughs> yeah. It's it's interesting, and I'm just going to go on a limb and say that it's probably something we're going to get a little bit more involved with in book two. Agreed. Also you know, something that I hope we see more of in book two is Stuart and Torvald. They're like a fun little Fred and George-esque character that we don't see a ton of. Yeah, they're like Fred and George, but annoying. Oh, come on. They're not that bad. (laughs) They're just, again, we've talked about this before. Stuart and Torvald, at least in this book, their role seems to just be like the really annoying kid who like throws a piece of paper at you and then runs off cackling. Yeah. Yeah. They're the peeves of Charmbridge. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> but we don't find much else about this Moore's Mortis Society other than Alex has been invited because of her status as Abraham Thorne's daughter at this point. And so I just am interested to see where that goes moving forward. 
yeah, it, it, it'll be interesting to see if the affinity for Alex being, you know, from these dark, uh, societies continues in the future or if it'll be stamped out quickly. I think it really does come down to what Alex decides to do. She could choose to ignore this and just move on. And that would potentially be the end of us hearing about it. True. Especially since she doesn't want to be like her father. Or at least it seems like she doesn't want to be like her father. Yeah. But it's Alex. So who knows what the future holds. Uh, after that little kind of beginning of the chapter where Mors Mortis is introduced, we get into some more important stuff. As you said, Delbert, uh, Alex takes her spawn. It says, and I think interestingly, it says that she doesn't take it as seriously as the first two. Do we think this is a sign of Alex becoming more comfortable with who she is in this wizarding world? Or is it because she doesn't think it matters as much given what she's learned now? Um, I think she's scared, personally. Like, Dean Grimm just had a conversation with her after one of her friends was almost killed where... She says, uh, you're a lot more like your father than you realize. And I don't think she liked that at all. So if she gets held back a little bit because she's not ready, I think she's okay with that at this point. Oh, so like maybe subconsciously she's, she's just like, you know, not performing as well as she could. Yeah. Like just something holding her back mentally. Um, I just thought it was because, uh, you know, she's a quick learner. Uh, like we've discussed before, and being a year in the Wizarding World, I think you learn a lot, and it kind of shows there. Um, also, when she first came into Charmbridge, she was pretty much by herself, didn't really know anybody, didn't know any of the teachers, didn't know the processes, whatever. And now, you know, she's experienced it for a year, so she's probably a lot more comfortable, I would say. But I also think, you know, she probably doesn't view it as as important as before just given the circumstances I think you're right uh, I also wonder if she just doesn't care as much about besting her classmates as she did in the middle of the year especially considering what's going on you know she could have interpreted Dean Grimm's message to her as she needs to take a step back and slow down or she could have interpreted it as She's already better than most people, and so she doesn't have to try as hard necessarily right. to prove herself. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, it seems like she is, like I've said, pretty smart, and it seems like she can is pretty good at like deciding what grade she wants to have. You know, like if she doesn't, if she really puts her mind to it, she probably could get a superior in every class. I would say, but given the circumstances. You know, she's worried about other stuff. She kind of just uh, goes through the motions when it comes to the classes. And I, I feel like it's the same way for the spawn. I will say that she does get her one superior uh, in basic magical defense. And again, Shirtliff has a much more unique way of testing than I think most teachers do, where she just gets into actual like magical combat with Alex for about a minute just to see what she can produce. And... Alex does show her power here, right? She impresses Shirtliff enough to give to get a superior grade in uh, the practical assessment for basic magical defense, and 
I don't know. I think we as the reader just haven't seen what Alex can do even at this point. Like we've not seen the full extent of her abilities. That's true. But I do also like the way that Shirtliff handles this of uh, taking her down with ease, basically. And then just saying, hey, look, you're good, but you're 12. Yeah, you're not that <laughs> like, good. It'd be the same thing. Like you have a jock in high school that, you know, they're the greatest quarterback that high school's ever seen. But if you put them up against an NFL defensive lineman, they're not going to be able to move. <laughs> you sure. know, like yeah. it's, it's, it's not just skill. There's also a lot of knowledge and a lot of growing to be had. Yeah. That kind of, that scene kind of made me wonder who is the shirtlift person. Oh, she, she government pretty, agent number three. She seems pretty powerful <laughs> oh, herself. Okay. Powerful to beat a 12 year old. Yeah. I mean, with so much ease. Yeah, that's fair. Our frame of reference is a little skewed because Thiel is a government agent and that's he was sucked. <laughs> that's he was true. horrible. Maybe member of the Thorn Circle, a rose petal. Maybe our judgment is skewed anyway. So in the main series, we saw Harry and Hermione obliterate Snape, who Snape was good, was, was like, a legitimately skilled yeah. wizard. They did surprise him, and we saw yeah. his true power later on, but still, you know? That is true. We see a lot of incompetent adults, like Snape getting surprised by that, Lockhart. <laughs> you know, if the adults Quirrell. in any story about a like a coming-of-age story like this were as competent as we think they would be in real life, the story wouldn't happen. So right. that, that plays into it. But it's just interesting that Shirtliff is so impressed by Alex at such a young age as it is. Um, that being said, though, she takes her spawn. Uh, the rumors fly. But really, what this chapter is here for is to give us our formal introduction to Governor General Huckstein. And it does that. Uh, they go to the commencement ceremony. And the Governor General is there. We get kind of a description of him as being uh, a man with a large belly and white hair. Uh, but for the most part, this commencement ceremony is very, very reminiscent of commencement ceremonies that I think we've all sat through at one point in our lives. Alex is absolutely bored out of her mind during this, during this whole thing. Yeah. And I, I want to go just back a tiny little bit here, just before the commencement ceremony, the day before perhaps. Alex and Dean Grimm have a nice chat about what to expect from the governor general's arrival. They do. And uh, it's a pretty, <laughs> it's a pretty scared demeanor from Dean Grimm. Like she's like, you do not want to trifle with this man. And even at the end, Alex asks, are you scared of him? And Dean Grimm just says, yes. <laughs> like it's very clear that he is a powerful person and you don't want to be in his way. Yeah, there there was two things from that conversation I took away. I thought it was interesting that Huckstein would hold a grudge against a child, because that's what Dean Grimm said. And then also, why would Dean Grimm be scared of him? Like, what makes her scared of him? It's, I mean, I think it's just being on her bat on his bad side. It's got to be his political power, right? Yeah, like the way he moves and shakes in the political sense. Because I don't think Dean Grimm would. Ad admit to being afraid of somebody like in a in a magical power comparison right. necessarily i think she's afraid of the fact that he can act and do things without needing to show off his magical abilities yeah you know 
Like, I think it's a much more realistic comparison, and there's a whole lot we could talk about here, but I'm just going to keep it brief. I compare Huckstein to Putin, where it's like, he's an aging man who probably can't kick your ass, but if you go against him, he might have you shot. Yeah. Or, you know, in Dean Grimm's case, or in this case, you're no longer the Dean. Right. You know, yeah. like, he could do anything he wanted as far as power goes. Yeah, I was... I mostly was getting at... Um is there something from the past that he's done that makes Dean Grimm scared of him? We don't know. I Such don't as it's a great question. Yeah, what happened with the Thorn Circle, or with Maybe. Abraham Thorn, or yeah, it's a great question. I, it's clear that he wields a great deal of power outside of magic, yeah. and so I, that, on top of being magical, I think does make him a very intimidating person to be in the presence of. And Dean Grimm warns Alex about that and basically says, you know, be on your best behavior here because if you're not, you're not going to be able to act like yourself anyways. Yeah, I think she says, like, be as ordinary as you can. <laughs> yeah. That's kind of funny. She even has the snarky response of, I thought you told me to be myself yeah. <laughs> afterwards. But Dean Grimm is not taking this as any laughing matter. She's saying, hey, do not do anything that makes you stand out. Yep. If Alex, I mean, r- truly, if Alex appears to have any somewhat any semblance of the same amount of power as her father, that's going to be a cause for concern for the governor general. And he's already tried to, he's already tried to, he's already had his life supposedly attempted on by Alex's father. And so if he is, depending on the type of leader he is, he probably wouldn't have any qualms with, just saying, well, she looks like a threat too. Let's take care of her now before she becomes one. So he's uh, going to be an interesting character going forward. And even in this chapter, he's an interesting character because he requests a formal audience with Alex. And when they have that, they're... the conversation makes him seem very, very manipulative in my yeah. mind. What struck me odd too was during the commencement, he was like smiling and whatever and being, you know, congratulatory towards the students that were graduating. But Alex mentioned that his eyes never were never gray and cold, even though he was smiling. And then she goes into the office and he kind of seems like a jolly old fellow there, you know, like his chuckling and, and laughing and is being nice. It just it's interesting. Maybe he's putting on a face for Alex, I guess. I, I don't know. I'm, I mean, it's, I think it's clear that he also views Alex as somebody who would be a useful ally, too, especially if they're trying to root out the Thorn Circle because she's the closest link they have. So he's definitely playing it on both sides of the coin. It's also interesting because we don't know what he thinks about the Thorn Circle. Does he know that they're still attempting on his life, or does he think they've just disappeared? Like, what's his stance on that group of people as well? I think it's clear... Just by inference, it's clear almost immediately that he will have absolutely no problem whatsoever with making use of Alex as a tool one way or the other. And so, and I guess it's not explicitly stated, but he puts off that vibe. You know, he's, when they're talking, he's putting out feelers for what she is and how he can use that to his own advantage moving forward. There's not a lot to say about the commencement other than that, I don't think. It's no. pretty unremarkable in terms of 
what's said and what happens. Yeah, no, no massive speech detailing the the new war against the Thorn Circle. So that is unfortunate yeah. for your prediction. Yeah. I also want to point out that as opposed to like a United States president, he seems to travel without like a security detail, at least that we see. He just has like one right hand man, uh, Richard Raspire. Yeah. Yeah. He does. It's this Raspire character. Uh, and again, there's no evidence to suggest this yet, but when I see this kind of relationship, the Raspire being the right hand man, if you're talking about other things we've seen in different versions of media, he could be just as scary, if not scarier. Yeah. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So it's it's interesting getting both of these characters introduced so late in the book when we know that we can't possibly learn enough about them to to suss out what they're uh what they're trying to accomplish yet. Yeah, and especially I mean, kind of bouncing ahead again to the the private chat with Alex, but the way that Raspire kind of acts, it's not so much of a submissive partnership. It's almost as if they're like a team, you know, because like uh, Governor General asks her a question and then without even like getting prompted by the Governor General, Raspire hops in with his own question. So it's I definitely think that they're pretty dangerous if you're on the wrong side of things. Yeah. And also, I just want to correct myself. I just reread one of the final paragraphs and apparently outside there are a few security wizards in black robes and also trolls. Yeah, security trolls. So he does have some sort of detail. It just wasn't in the room. Yeah, and they they had been at Char like they went to Charmbridge beforehand to clear it, you know, to check it and clear it and all that stuff. So he does have some security, but definitely not a lot of security like we see with the president of the United States or whatever. Yeah, not like a hundred car caravan of yeah, yeah. you know, anti bomb and anti radar and anti whatever vehicles. Right. I want to get into the specifics of the conversation, but the first thing I wanted to ask you guys really is, were you as disconcerted as I was by the fact that he met with Alex alone, essentially? Alex has nobody in there to protect her. Yeah, I kind of uh, thought that was interesting as well myself because I figured, you know, Governor General Huckstein would, would give Dean Grimm the respect to speak with Alex face-to-face, especially given, I'm assuming Dean Grimm is briefed by them about the Thorn Circle and everything, because she knew beforehand that Abraham Thorne was her father. Um, so when, when I read that, I was actually worried for Alex. I thought that there was going to be, you know, like he was going to turn on his manipulation, you know, right away or whatever. I think there's two issues to look at here. One is I feel like they're acting like, you know, detective cops, basically, where they would much rather talk to you without your lawyer present. For sure. I mean, uh, always get a lawyer before you say anything. But the other thing is on Dean Grimm's side, when she just leaves no problem, she also doesn't want to appear at all as an advocate for Alex. So, I mean, when she leaves, she's like trying to show that she's with the governor on this. She has no reason to care about Thorne's daughter. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, again, it's like, it's like what you're saying, Baylor, in terms of him using this to be even more manip- manipulative. But on top of that, they're in a magical society and Alex is in there on her own. They could have done anything to try to fabricate a story out of her or to try to get information that doesn't exist 
or whatever. And nobody would have been any different because there's no way for people to detect what happened in that situation. Yeah, and I guess we don't know Huckstein or Raspire very much, but I mean, they could have even just used Truth Serum on her, which we know exists canonically, and asked whatever they wanted. They yeah. could have done that. They could have imperiused her. They could have, uh, I wouldn't say they probably would have tortured her given the screams that probably would have emanated, but they could have done literally anything. And at the end of the day, Alex is an 11-year-old girl who uh, could very easily be taken advantage of in that situation. Yeah, the the thing that really I think is the most dangerous is the fact that the governor general has like a special inquisition office or whatever i can't remember the exact term but that really reminds me of like you know we when we saw 9-11 happen and they opened guantanamo bay or any sort of special investigation it kind of is like opening pandora's box and really nothing is off limits yeah i agree when i read the inquisitor's office i immediately thought the ss from nazi germany like a federalized police that only responds to the man at the top and uses whatever means necessary yeah so it's because of all of that, it's already an uncomfortable situation. Um, as the conversation goes, essentially, he introduces himself and then he basically starts asking Alex, do you know why we're concerned about your father? Do you know who your father is? He's asking a bunch of questions that a typical 11 year old would just answer because they're like, yeah, that's my dad. You know uh, what he's doing really is he's fishing for any sign that Alex knows anything at all about her father. And if I really think if she suggested that she did, she's not spending summer at home. No, probably not. She's spending summer somewhere where the governor general's people can examine that even more deeply. Especially when he asks, have you ever seen, like, have you ever been visited by your dad, whatever? And she's like, no. And then Grassbauer jumps in and is like, have you even noticed somebody following you guys around? Maybe seen somebody outside of school back home, you know, something like that. And so, like, they're really, really fishing for anything. Yeah, and I'll say this to Alex's credit. I no longer want to cast whoever I casted for Alex. I just want to use Alex because her acting in this is incredible. Yeah, she yeah. did good. She played the part extremely well. And I will say that I don't know if... Everything he's saying in this is a blatant lie about wanting to protect her and whatever else. But there is a period of time where he's talking about how if they caught her father, she would be allowed to see him. They'd give him a lenient sentence if he would work with them and all this stuff. And that is a blatant lie, I think. Yeah, I mean, I know it's basic high school English stuff like grammar, persuasive writing and all that stuff. But they're really going through the ethos, pathos logos here. They're like, you know why we're after him. He broke the law. Yes. Well, if we capture him, you can visit him and he can be your father. Like, they're really appealing to everything they can to try to not only, like, I think you're right with gauging information, but I also think gauging emotion and also trying to pull her on the side of the Confederacy. Absolutely. Or confeder- Confederation? Yeah. Confederation, yeah. No, yeah, I, um, yeah, it definitely, it would be like an Osama bot. Osama bot. <laughs> It would definitely be like an Osama bin Laden situation, like, you know, wanted dead or alive, you know. that They definitely wouldn't give him a fair trial, especially, once again, this is not the uh, the Confederation's law um, system. It's the Governor General's Special Inquisition Squad. I'm sure that they 
like SEAL Team 6. They go in and clean up a mess and what, leave. What's better for his image? We caught him and we're working with him, or we caught him and we killed him and he can't hurt people anymore? Well, or, let's also look at it this way, right? Like, Abraham Thorne, as far as we know, had a pretty good start to, like, a government career, basically. What made him do a full 180 and become a supposed terrorist? Exactly. Yeah. If he stays alive... Whatever he may have found out or whatever info made him turn, that might become public, and there's no way Huckstein wants that. Yeah, that's exactly why I've always kind of been on, like, been willing, you know, not calling Thorne a bad guy right away is because of that. Like, it doesn't make any sense why he would just change his mind and become evil, you know. But um, so part of this conversation, I think, is right here, especially where we're talking about him just blatantly lying to Alex he's he's mis he's underestimating alex severely right here he thinks that because she's a young girl he can say like you'll have your daddy back and you'll get to see him she's gonna be like okay cool i'm in but she sees right through this i mean to be fair if this was darla angelique anna maybe the pritchards as well they're gonna give something away so i mean he's basing it off an average 12 year old alex is not the average 12 year old right and that's a grave mistake on his part because he knows she's Abraham Thorne's daughter, right? I think knowing she's Abraham Thorne's daughter, his approach is is not appropriate because he knows what Abraham Thorne is capable of and you should probably link that to to his like his offspring and how what how they're going to act as well. Yeah, and I'm also curious how this meeting goes if they don't have the meeting with Deaton Grimm right beforehand, where Alex finds out this is probably the guy who had your mother obliviated. Yeah. It is interesting because this is like the first time Alex does what Dean Grimm says to do. <laughs> well, I think even more so than like being afraid of him, she's curious. Like yeah. She wants yeah. to find out what he's about. Yeah. And I think she finds out that, you know, he will lie to her and manipulate her straight to her face, you know, and maybe he's not a good guy. I don't know. It's just something that Alex has going for her in this moment and just in general is she really has no reason to trust anybody. And because of that, she looks at Governor General Huckstein through a lens of, okay, say what you're going to say, but I'll make my own decisions instead of letting you do that for me. I mean, even now, after we've been more familiarized with shirtlift in a positive light, even now the most understanding adult through the story was still Ben Journey. When she I went agree. up and asked him and said, what's the deal with the Thorn Circle and the Dark Convention? He says, you know, you should do some more reading and figure it out for yourself. He's the only adult we've seen Alex lean into, period, in this. Mm -hmm. And that kind of includes her own parents. You know, so yeah, she has no reason to trust a single adult, really, in this story and while that is horrible for an 11-year-old kid to be dealing with, it actually works to her benefit here. Well, also, Ben Journey is the one who said, just because it's called dark magic doesn't mean it's dark magic. It just means it's not approved by this guy. So. The whole thing is a really interesting interaction, and it essentially ends with the governor general giving Alex a business card she can use to contact him. And her um, leaving the room knowing that he's a liar and destroying that business card almost immediately. So we get resolution to whether she's going to be on his side instantly. 
Yeah. Yeah. And Brady, I know in this particular episode, you've leaked your casting to me. And the more we go over this conversation, the more that it's just the same exact character from that series I agree. as well. Yeah. So I think when we reveal that, a lot of people will agree with it. Sure. That's kind of the end of the chapter, though, right? She goes back. She doesn't eat. She destroys the business card. And that's that. She tells Anna she doesn't need it. Mm-hmm. And that's the end of the chapter. And I got to tell you... um, one more. Well, that too, but also Inverarity is doing a really good job of making the reader not have a single clue who a good person is in this. Like what side is right. So, if the readers haven't caught or the listeners rather haven't caught on by now, we're pretty involved in D&D. Brady is running a uh, Curse of Strahd campaign. Feels a lot similar to that where it feels like no one's really good. Yeah. <laughs> like it's just choosing between bad options, and that's how I feel like Alex is looking at this as well. You don't know who to trust. I will say that, for me, between Abraham Thorne, the Confederation, and Dean Grimm, Dean Grimm is easily the most trustworthy person, and that is insane given how she's acted. See, I would put Shirtliff at the top, but she says she trusts Dean Grimm, and if you're going with the old Dumbledore Snape analogy then I guess you trust Dean Grimm as well? Yeah, I mean, she's Shirtliff is part of Dean Grimm's camp in my mind. Yeah, I would agree with that. Yeah, Dean Grimm's definitely flipped to 180 for me, <laughs> obviously not being the killer, so or potential killer, so that, that was huge for her. With that being said, the chapter's over, so, Delbert, I think we need to cast somebody, and I'm thrilled with this casting segment because it's somebody who matters. <laughs> Brady, go ahead. So... For my thought process casting Governor General Huckstein, I will admit that I'm basically just blatantly stealing a different Confederation-type leader from a different series, but I went with Donald Sutherland, who played President Snow in the Hunger Games series, and first of all, the physical description is there. He's got the white beard, uh... He could put on pounds if he needs to to play the role. That's not a problem. And secondly, President Snow essentially had this same manipulator tactic that we see Governor General Huckstein taking. And so I just, first of all, think Donald Sutherland did a great job playing that role. And secondly, uh, would like to poach that for for my cast as well. Yeah, I mean, he matches the, the role, I think, great has experience. I'm actually curious. When did the Hunger Game books come out? Because this book, I think, is from 2007. Well, I'll look at that while... All right, Baylor, how about you go while we wait on that? Um, All right. So, I'm mostly going off looks. I didn't really match somebody from a different movie, I guess. Um, But I went with... um, I, I actually don't even know if he's allowed to act anymore, but Alec Baldwin. I think it's a good casting. I also don't know if he's allowed to act anymore. Yeah. So. Yeah. Might might have to replace him with someone, but I I think he fits the physical description at least. And I I would assume, given his acting, uh, like his past experience, he would be able to fill that kind of manipulator role pretty well. I like Alec Baldwin's acting, and I am just way under informed on what happened on that uh, shooting set. 
I was under the impression that it was not his fault, but also he was one of the producers, so at the top of the line it was also kind of his fault. But I don't know enough to pass judgment in any way, so. Sure, I don't want to comment on it either. Uh, I think existing in a vacuum, he is a good fit. Yeah, agreed. Did we find anything else out about Hunger Games? Sure, yeah. Hunger Games came out in 2008. So Inverarity did it first. So President Snow is based on Governor General Huckstein. So Suzanne Collins stealing some content. Calling you out, Suzanne, if you would like to refute our claims, send us an email. Or join our podcast. <laughs> sure. Let us know. <laughs> Inverarity, if you'd like to uh, start a uh, legal campaign to oust Suzanne Collins, write in. Nice. We're, we don't have the capital to help, but write yeah. in anyways. Yeah, you do it yourself and we'll <laughs> we, talk about yeah, it. Yeah, exactly. We'll do a couple episodes on it. <laughs> Delver, who did you cast? So my casting for this, I uh, really agreed with yours, Brady, so I'm already willing to throw mine away, even though I do think he matches the description, is another not really an actor. Excellent. Yeah. Good. He's familiar to Hollywood, but I don't know what he's ever really acted in. But he did run a late night show for a very long time. David Letterman. Wow, great. Oh, yeah. With cool. his beard, specifically. Yeah, with the beard, for sure. Yeah. Certainly he's done acting. I would assume so, but I don't know anything outside of his Tonight Show or the Late Late Show or whatever he ran for 20 years. He certainly looks like a person with a long white beard, so that definitely fits. He also looks very charismatic and seems charismatic, and that's the kind of vibe I'm getting from... Uh, Mr. President Snow. For sure. He, it looks like David Letterman has appeared in almost exclusively talk shows. The well, Starland Vocal Band Show, which only played for two episodes, and then after that it's the David Letterman Show, Late Night with David Letterman, uh, and a different talk show I didn't know he did called My Next Guest Needs No Introduction. Never too late. Starting your dream of being a real-life actor instead of just a lowly talk show host. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you know, talk shows are basically built on lies and and (laughs) jokes, so uh, he would be fine as Governor General Huxley. Can't refute that one. I'm willing to throw the hat into Brady on this one already. Well, (laughs) regardless, you know, we can reach out. Part of this is going to be about who fits the role best, and part of it has to be about who can we pay the absolute least. So Indeed. I think Letterman's expensive. Maybe. He's kind of, I don't want to say irrelevant, but out of the picture, <laughs> out, of the, out of the eye of the public right now. Nice. If, uh, if Alec isn't acting, he'd be probably pretty cheap. Maybe we can get Kiefer Sutherland, but make him sign for like 15 years down the road. Sure. When he looks older. Yeah, that sounds good. Uh, with that being said, the only thing left to do for this episode is to deal with Baylor's prediction from last week and... Get his prediction for next week, which will be the last chapter of this book. So, Baylor, if you wanted to remind us what your prediction from last week was about chapter 28, now would be a great time for that. Yeah, so given that it's called Governor General Huxton, I think he'll be in the chapter. I think that's pretty uh, straightforward. That's a good start. Um. I think a lot of this chapter will be the commencement. And I think knowing what we know about Governor General Huckstein, um, he obviously will do a speech because he's the commencement speaker. Um, but in his speech, because of all the drama that's happening uh, regarding the Thorn Circle, 
he will subtly say, but not say at the same time, that the governor or the confederation has launched a new war against the Thorn Circle. And they will be renewing their attempts to find and, uh, you know, jail anybody suspected of being a part of it. Is he just going to be staring daggers at Alex the entire time he talks about it? I can only imagine. Yeah. Well. <laughs> no war. No war at no, all. No speech, in fact. He, he did a give a speech. He gave a speech, but we have no idea what he said. That's right. true. Yeah. True. Yeah. Um. I don't know. How does that play into the grading, then? We don't know what he said. He could have said that. <laughs> to the entire class? <laughs> yeah, he could have. Hey, kids, get ready for <laughs> yeah. war. That was that was my main problem with this prediction initially, is that that would be crazy if he announces yeah. war at a school Once again, I think if Once that again. had happened, we would have known. <laughs> Once again, said but didn't directly say. Like, sure. You know, he wasn't specifically, he didn't just say, we're going to war, but it doesn't matter. I would say, like last week, we have to just go based on what the text yeah. gives us. unfortunate. Uh, he came to the school. The prediction has that going for it. True. So, Baylor, do you know the title of book six by any chance? Nope. Okay, so that didn't weigh in. Right. Yeah, because he would have been about four books too early. Right. <laughs> I I think we just have to go hocus pocus. And I move kind on. of agree. I'm not gonna call you a muggle, but that's fine. It's I, pretty bad. I honestly thought a muggle was an inbound. So hey, could be worse. I am just reaching to give you credit for saying. <laughs> That a chapter about Governor General Huckstein would Title. include Governor Huxtein. General Huckstein. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, could you imagine if it didn't? That'd be wild. That that would have been a muggle. First line of the chapter announces that he is, in fact, assassinated. Wow. That would have been a twist. <laughs> yeah. Like Abraham Thorne does it like, <laughs> yeah. that day. Uh, so, yeah, I think we got to just mark it down as hocus pocus. Unfortunate. That's fair. That's all right. I will you say know, you did good for like ten weeks in a row when virtually nothing happened. So yeah, you have one prediction left, and this prediction can at least put you on a high note. First of all, what's your overall grade currently? Um, according to this, I am sitting at an average seventy point one nine percent. And what's the oh, cutoff man. for be going going below average? Uh, the way I have it is seventy percent. Oh. Very close. Yeah. This prediction means everything. Everything's hinged on this prediction. Well, we've prediction. got two still, because we've got the one you're about to make, and then we have a long-standing one on Abraham Thorne making an appearance. That's true, but I don't. Have you been factoring the long-term ones in? I have not actually added those oh. to here because there it there wasn't that many. Those ones, the long-term ones, in my mind, are more like the the assignment you give to the student who finishes everything too early that you're gotcha. not going to grade, but it it's keeps them busy. Extra. Yeah. So I think this next prediction. Pass or fail. It's going to determine whether or not you move on to uh, season two with us or we find a new co-host. Well, right. he is moving, so he couldn't do much <laughs> about it. Well, that's a lot more pressure than I was anticipating. <laughs> right in, if you want to be our new co-host. <laughs> I will be screening all emails from now on. Um, <laughs> don't do that. Okay. <laughs> uh, prediction for, um, I believe the chapter is The Raven, correct? It is called The Raven. Chapter 29, the final chapter. All right. So, obviously, hopefully, school will come to a close for uh, Alex's first year at Charmbridge. Um, like I said earlier, and given the fact that the final chapter is called The Raven, Charlie will in some way be associated with Thorn 
and that will be revealed in this chapter. I know I've said in the past that Charlie is thorn in disguise, but I don't think that's the case because Charlie, I think, is too important of a partner for Alex. Like it, It's part of her character at this point. And then finally, this, this revealing and, and however uh, I have said in the past, Abraham Thorne reveals himself, however he does that, that will set the stage for book two. All right. I like it. It's a high stake situation. Very. Yeah. It's uh You wanna just pre grade at the muggle or Technically everybody starts with a zero percent. I guess we'll see next week how that prediction plays out. Uh, and with that being said, we have reached the end of this episode of the Remedial Magic Podcast. Uh as a reminder if you want to give us a review on iTunes or Spotify or anywhere else, we would greatly appreciate that. If you have thoughts about anything we've said or anything you want us to say, reach out to us on social media or send us an email. And finally, uh, the next episode is the last chapter of this book, but it's not the last episode of season one. We'll have next episode and then one following where we wrap everything up in the best way that we have the ability to uh and last thing i have to say is thanks for listening good night good night deuces